welcome to episode 61 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 9th and 19th of April, 2019. I'm Joe, and I'm alone, but just for the intro, don't worry. I'll be at Linux Fest Northwest when we should have been recording this, so we decided to record something in advance, a kind of special episode, so there won't be any news in this one. Instead, what we're going to have is a kind of distro roundtable, I'm calling it. And so it's Will from Ubuntu, obviously, and Richard Brown from OpenSUSE, and Matthew Miller from Fedora. And I thought I'd get the three of them together, three huge distros, to talk about how they work together, how they differ, and the kind of users they target. But you'll hear that in a minute anyway. I'll do the admin section at the end, so I suppose without further ado, on to the roundtable discussion. So hello, Matthew. Hello. Hello, Richard. Hello. And hello, Will. Hello. So let's start with the overwhelmingly positive side of this. And that question is, how do you all work together? Presumably things like GNOME and possibly on the server side for Richard and Matthew. So, um, Will, how do you work with the other distros? Yeah, GNOME's a a very good example of that. Um, We've got people who have got commit rights to GNOME. We've got people who are doing QA on GNOME and reporting bugs upstream um, and on Launchpad. Um, And, yeah, I think think GNOME's a really good example. Um, GNOME software especially, we do um, a considerable amount there, and we do work in Mutter and, um, yeah, GNOME Shell's a really good example. So we just uh, treat ourselves as active members of the GNOME community and we contribute fixes and we, you know, report bugs and and just like all the other the GNOME contributors. So it's very much a um, case of us rather than, uh, sorry, we rather than us versus them. Is that the feeling that you get, Matthew? Yeah, I think uh, for a lot of the upstream projects like GNOME, we collaborate pretty well on those kind of things. Uh, one of the other things I think that's uh, for uh, Fedora and OpenSUSE, one of the things that's a nice bit of collaboration is we use the same OpenQA system uh, to do our automated testing for our images for releases. And that's really uh, helped let our QA people focus on uh, things that require humans rather than a lot of the automated does this boot is, you know, does it come up to a menu, that kind of thing. And so that's been um yeah, a real powerful tool to collaborate on. So it's not just the software that goes in the release, but the software we use to put together releases as well. That's something you're very proud of, isn't it, Richard, over on the OpenSUSE side? Yeah, especially with the Fedora thing, because I, I happen to be the guy who wrote the first Fedora test in OpenQA. Um, and it found a shipstopper in Fedora 26, I think, which was uh, kind of fun to be able to report that. So presumably you've improved it as a result of Fedora using it. Oh, totally. I mean, it, it, there's, there's a, a huge amount of, of features and functionality which were, were there, sort of really driven by the, the way Fedora works, the way Fedora thinks, and, and that's pollinated how we use it and how we think about stuff and, and vice versa. Um, beyond that, we, we not just kind of um, the upstream stuff like Will talked about or, or, or sort of specifics with OpenQA, but in, in OpenSUSE, we also have a, a number of contributors who, who really firmly have like feet in multiple camps. Guys like Neil Gumba, who's like, he's a Fedora guy, he's a Magia guy, he's an OpenSUSE guy, and, and that, you know, happily contributing in his own way to all of those. Um, and, and starting to see sort of the same with, uh, Snaps, uh, guys like Zygmunt from Canonical, who's, you know, actively contributing to OpenSUSE as part of OpenSUSE with the whole Snap thing. Um, not just, you know, being an Ubuntu guy in the Ubuntu distro. Well, I was going to wait a while to get into the snap versus flat pack versus traditional packaging situation, but I suppose we may as well get into that. 
obviously will on your side snap is where you're focusing um and matthew you're focusing on flat pack um i suppose richard let's start with you you were pretty down on the whole new packaging methods thing last time i spoke to you and i remember at old camp late on in the pub having a quite spirited argument about that oh that was a fun night <laughs> um, I, I would say my my opinions evolved over time. Um, I, I'm still not exactly a, a fan. Um, I, I see a lot of flaws in um, in the technologies, not the intent of of Snap and Flatback. And also, I think a lot of the problems that they try to solve are not the kind of problems we feel in OpenSUSE because we kind of solved a lot of those in this sort of the traditional packaging way with what we do with OBS and the like. Um, so I, I would say, you know, out of the three here, you know, me, myself, I'm I'm not a fan. OpenSUSE generally, um, it's more nuanced because the style of our community is not one of sort of any centralized control. So I, I can never really say OpenSUSE focuses on this. Um, so we, we have advocates of, of Flatpak. Um, we have ad- advocates of Snap and contributors to Snap. Um, Flatpak is actually in the distribution. Snap hasn't passed our security reviews yet. Um, things keep on gnarling that one up. And myself, I'm, I mean, I'm not... I see the problems, I see the issues, but I'm not closed-minded to saying this is this is horrific. Like I, I've spent my my hack weeks at Sousa, actually playing around with Flatpak, seeing how Flatpak works on a, on atomic open Sousa, and seeing seeing where the future could possibly be. Um, and that's likely something I'm going to go back to because I, I find the idea really enticing, even if the technology, you know, it's kind of a love hate relationship at the moment. And so, Matthew, where is Fedora with Snaps? I know you're pretty all in on Flatpak at this point. So Flatpak, uh, it didn't originally start as a Red Hat project. It started as kind of an upstream project in the GNOME community around um, some people who are working at Red Hat. Um, And so our desktop team who works on that is very excited about it. And it's going to... um, I'm not actually sure of the product plans around it, but um, we're you know they're very excited about getting um, this hooked up in Fedora at least. Um, one of the things that we are doing in Fedora that I think is interesting is uh, Rich said that you know we've solved a lot of the same problems in a traditional packaging way, and that's kind of true in Fedora as well. If you look at a lot of the high quality graphical applications that exist in the open source world, those are already packaged up in Fedora. We don't really have a deficit of that. Um, so one of the things we're doing is we are making a system to automatically convert the existing packages we have in Fedora into flat packs. And so those pack, those flat packs will automatically be updated when the underlying RPMs are updated so that, you know, our, our current package maintainers who are doing a good job with maintaining these graphical applications can keep doing that. And then we can also have those available to people who would prefer to consume them as flat packs for the advantages that that gives. Um, and I think that's an interesting model kind of mixed with the cases where um, the you know, vendor of the software themselves wants to provide a flat pack, which is kind of a different case than the distro packaging case or like the proprietary software that lands on Flathub. Um, Fedora is not particularly interested in packaging that, but you know, our packaging of say Inkscape or whatever is uh, perfectly great as it is. Uh, so we'll have a source of 
flat packs that, and this is actually already available. You can add the thing by by hand, and we're going to be shipping with it enabled sometime soon, uh, where where the flat packs can be a package source. Um, and I think that if you're using a different distribution and would like a source of high quality curated flat packs that you know where come from and can shade trace the build chain, you know, from source to build to package to flat pack, um, the Fedora source of flat packs will be an interesting thing to add. We also have uh, some people who are interested in doing the same thing with Snappy in Fedora, basically taking the existing Fedora packages and making a source of snaps from that. And um, that hasn't gotten quite as far along, but I think that's an interesting initiative that I also support. Presumably, it makes more sense to use snaps for the server side of things because Flatpak is quite desktop focused, isn't it? Yeah, Flatpak is absolutely desktop focused. Um, I think uh, for for the server side of things, um, our you know, preferred model is OCI, Kubernetes, Podman, um, the, the, that suite of things, um, kind of the Red Hat container tools package. Uh, and that's the direction that Red Hat customers are interested in. And uh, that's the direction that people are investing in making things work in Fedora. It'll be interesting to see if we get demand for Snap uh, stuff from Fedora users. I haven't really seen that outside of the desktop case very much. And Will, have you seen demand for Flatpak in Ubuntu then? There are certainly community people uh, very keen to get it in there. They're working on getting everything packaged up, getting everything working. Um, and we're happy to sponsor those and get them into the archives. So, yeah, you know, Flatpak's in there in universe at the moment. Um, the plugins for GNOME software are in universe. Yeah, it's it's all there. It's, it's easy to install if people want to do it. But obviously, we're firmly behind Snaps, and um, that's where we're seeing the demand from our users. Fair enough. So Ubuntu is different from Fedora and OpenSUSE insofar as with Ubuntu, there is only one thing, one distro, apart from Ubuntu Core, but let's take that aside for a second because that's for embedded use cases. But with Ubuntu, whether you are just a community member downloading it, installing it on their PC, or you are an enterprise installing it in a 1,000 VMs, it is essentially the same OS. Well, I mean, it is the same OS. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Fedora and OpenSUSE, you guys are kind of like the upstream for the enterprise version. And so I'm wondering, clearly both approaches have pros and cons. Um, I suppose start with the pros then. So Matthew, what what are the pros of being a separate distro from uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux? Uh, so Reddit Enterprise Linux is inherently conservative because that is the target market. So moving slowly and um, wanting to you know, keep things the same for 20 years is a lot of the customer demand. Uh, at the same time, obviously, customers also need newer things. So Reddit has some technologies to deal with that. But um, a lot of the needs for RHEL are very different from um what we kind of need to, to enable the future of the operating system. So uh, Fedora as an upstream lets us explore a lot of different possibilities that would be kind of harder to explore if we are also having to, to maintain that enterprise feel to everything. So um, it kind of frees Fedora up to try a lot of different things. And it also uh, frees up the Fedora community to make community decisions that aren't necessarily beholden to the you know corporate and customer requests. 
requests because uh, the community working on Fedora, which can include those customers, can kind of do things, explore things that uh, we're interested in, and they don't have to go through making sure they're you know approved by product management and um, given given all the you know process to get into um, a you know, supported uh, corporate distro. And do you find that you sometimes wish you had that um, benefit, Will? Um, I think we try to take the middle ground, as it were, that um, we want to be as far forward as we are comfortable to be. And so you've got the choice of sticking on the interim releases between the LTSs and getting those um, every six months, getting that new version out there. Um, and you've also got the option to sit on the LTS and get five years of support. So I think we we offer... The same things, but in different ways. And um, what about you, Richard? Because things are a little bit more complex over there. Um, you haven't got just one version at all there, have you? No, we we have two main code bases, and actually uh, three announced and soon to be four distributions. Um, so we have you know Tumbleweed, which actually has Tumbleweed, Cubic, and MicroOS, and we have Leap. Um, so the the relationship or the the, yeah, the relationship between SUSE and OpenSUSE is, is a bit of a different one in the sense of SUSE really doesn't see itself as a con- controlling aspect in OpenSUSE. You know, the community is the community and SUSE is doing its own thing. So the distributions have kind of evolved in that way. So Tumbleweed is very much the upstream for SUSE with SUSE Linux Enterprise. Um, it's actually a, a fact of, of public corporate policy now that nothing is allowed in SLE unless it's been sent to Tumbleweed. doesn't necessarily have to be accepted. There's times the community can, you know, veto stuff from SLE, but it, you know, the, the intent has to be there. So same as kind of the same we do with the kernel and, and stuff at SUSE, you know, upstream first. But Leap is, is 100% derived from SLE and then with community stuff added on. So we're kind of simultaneously upstream to SUSE and downstream to SUSE. Um, and that, that really gives a, a different dynamic where we kind of, we get all the benefits from, from the Fedora model and all of the benefits from the Ubuntu model. Um, because, you know, users can get Leap. They can have that more conservative option. Um, the, the basic community supported. I mean, you're not going to get any, um, financial support for it, but, uh, um, for Leap. You know, is the same three or four years, I can't remember the exact date now, of, of standard uh, SLE support. Um, and then at the end of a, a LEAP support period, um, you can actually upgrade in place from the community LEAP distribution to the enterprise SLE one. So, you know, we've even kind of made a nice little on-ramp from that. Um, so, yeah, we, we really can kind of play both sides of that. The community can do whatever, whatever we want, but SUSE has the benefit of getting their code out there, getting in the hands of more people, getting part... Um, I know, for example, SUSE partners um, like IBM directly contributing to Tumbleweed because that's the best way they found of getting stuff like their PowerPC code in, in a sensible way. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL. That's for late night Linux. And that will give you $100 credit to get started and 60 days to use it. Now, DigitalOcean offers VMs, or droplets as they call them, in data centers all around the world with super fast network and super fast SSDs. And they offer various distros, Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, even FreeBSD, and some container distros, CoreOS, Fedora Atomic, and Raja OS. But you can also use your own custom distribution if you don't want to use one of those. And these droplets start at $5 a month for a gigabyte of RAM, one CPU, 
25 gigabytes of disk and a terabyte of transfer. And they go all the way up to 32 CPUs with 192 gigabytes of RAM and ridiculous amounts of storage. But they also have CPU-optimized droplets. So if you only need a lot of CPU and you don't need that much RAM or disk, you can go for one of those. And if you want to add storage to any of these droplets, it's really easy with either object storage or block storage. You just attach however much you want to your droplet and start using it. And you can either start with a basic distro install and build it up to be exactly what you want, or if you want a quick shortcut, they've got loads of one-click apps like Basic Lamp and Lamp Stacks, WordPress, Discourse, GitLab. So go to do.co slash LNL, get your $100 credit, and start creating VMs with full root access all around the world. That's do.co slash LNL. But there are some disadvantages of the Fedora and OpenSUSE models insofar as, I think more so with OpenSUSE, it's a bit confusing for people. It's not immediately clear which one you're going to go for. With Ubuntu, it's just obvious. With Fedora, I mean, it's basically, do you want a community-supported free distro or do you want to pay for RHEL and you know, all the, th- all the things that go with that. Wait, wait, let me not let uh, Richard get all the confusion. I, f- I think that I want to throw in CentOS as a player in our ecosystem <laughs> as well. To uh, That's true. To yeah. say, uh, I think we actually do have a complicated story as well that uh, we're actually working with CentOS to try and help make that better. But yeah, we kind of, we kind of do have the same, uh, a picture where we've got Fedora as the upstream, then RHEL as the enterprise, and then CentOS as a rebuild of the enterprise distribution, which is mostly, but not exactly compatible with it and free and community supported as well. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm not going to let Richard have the, our story is complicated thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But don't you wish sometimes that it was simpler, like with Ubuntu, where you can just point people to one ISO and that's it? Um, I think that the simple story has appeal. So from a marketing point of view, I, you know, simpler story almost always is better. Um, I think from the actually what's useful and good for people, I think our model actually works pretty well. Um, I would like to you know, work um, a little more closely with CentOS, like I said, to help kind of make it that make the at least the community sides of thing work together more closely. Um, but I think it's more about uh, getting a, an easier and better story to tell than really making kind of a deep change to how we put things together, because I think um, it is working very well. Uh, yeah, okay. One thing that strikes me is that um, for both Fedora and OpenSUSE, you guys are in charge of the desktop and server and cloud, whereas, Will, you are just in charge of the desktop. And so there must be some pretty big differences there because I suppose, um, Will, you wear one hat and you know focus completely on the desktop, whereas um, the other two of you have to wear many hats at once. Yeah, I might be kind of jealous of that sometimes. Um, it's having kind of one thing to focus on does have its appeal. Um, to me, Fedora is kind of a it's, a, it's a portfolio project. Our overall mission is really not you know, focus on delivering the desktop or delivering the IoT, but on delivering, you know, making a community which is empowered to deliver the different things that different parts of the community want to put together. So my role is kind of in this overall oversight and making sure that the different groups in Fedora who work on these different outputs have what they need, are empowered to do it, and 
um, get along reasonably well enough so that we can all do the different things together. Because, yeah, those different things, you know, server and being an upstream for RHEL server has very different use cases from something like IoT or uh, the desktop. And Will, presumably you're quite relieved that you don't have to deal with other things and you can just focus on what you're good at at the desktop. <laughs> I think uh, you're perhaps oversimplifying just a tad there. Um, I wish it was uh, just desktop, but um, as you can imagine, there's uh, a large community around the desktop. And so I have a lot of work with the community people. Um, there's all of the, the snap work, the snap integration work that goes into the desktop. So I have to work very closely with the snappy team. Um, and of course, you know, Canonical is, is a business, um, that does a lot more than just desktop. So I need to be up to speed and involved in conversations with security, with the store team, with the server team, you know, with the foundations team, all of the, the underlying components that go into making Ubuntu desktop are all shared by Ubuntu server. So we, you know, we need to keep that, um, that involvement in each other's projects uh, and specialities going so that we, we're up to speed with what's going on. So, yeah, it does sound pretty sweet, and, and it is a sweet gig. Um, I make no, no mistake there. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, I do have to keep a, a close eye on what else is going on. And what about you, Richard? Do you have to work? I mean, you must have to work with a lot of different teams and, and juggle a lot of balls to make it all come together. The thing with OpenSUSE is is we have a very different uh, governance model, um, especially when it comes to the SUSE employees working on OpenSUSE. Um, so my role as OpenSUSE chairman, for example, I'm appointed by SUSE, but it's a part-time role. I actually am only meant to work one day a week on OpenSUSE stuff. The rest of the time, I'm an engineer at SUSE, just like a few hundred others. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, my, my role's more to, more sort of as, as Matt described, being there to, to deal when things go wrong. So, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of bridge between the sponsor and the community at large when, when stuff gets sticky. Um, so like where I can find myself involved in, in things all over the place, but generally speaking, we try and have OpenSUSE as a project that is self-sustaining, full of self-directed teams. So the, the, the project's moving along nicely and most of the time I don't need to get that involved and that's good. Um, obviously I have my own interests and I do my own stuff in OpenSUSE. I, I contribute to OpenSUSE daily, but it's, it's a, a a different style. Like I'm not working on it full time. Yeah, you know, we don't have community managers or anything like that. It's not that kind of project, and Suza isn't that kind of company. So, yeah, my role is a bit different. I'm not in charge. Put it that way. It can't have escaped anyone's attention that the desktop is waning in popularity generally. You only really have to look at what Apple are doing with iOS and how they're really concentrating a lot of their resources there and they've neglected the desktop for a lot of releases now um and even microsoft are looking to move over to kind of this desktop as a service thin client model although that may be a, a long way off um it, all three of the companies that you guys work for presumably are concentrating more on the server and cloud side of things um and so it makes me wonder how much attention is actually being focused on the desktop, is it almost kind of a lost leader in a way, just to kind of have the the few, the handful of developers? I mean, Will, presumably you're going to argue very much against that, being um, that you've got these deals with Dell and everything to ship um, on hardware, you know, mainstream hardware. But um, I, I don't know, what I'm getting at here is that 
it just feels like the desktop is becoming less and less important. And are you kind of feeling that? I mean, Matthew, for example, you, um, I know the desktop is a serious thing for Fedora, but all of the other stuff that you're doing, it presumably feels a bit more important, or would you say it's equally important? Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Let me kind of separate some of those things out. Um, first of all, for your Red Hat, the company that I work for, um, is certainly very interested in you know cloud and enterprise use cases. There are some desktop cases there, which kind of fall into two sort of things. One is like kiosks and point of sale systems. Uh, and then the other one is sort of high-end workstations for um, animation studios and some of the um, uh, enterprise customers that use their desktop in a way that's kind of different from the typical consumer use. Um, those are the that that's that's where the money in the desktop comes for Red Hat. Um, and then yeah, but overall, uh, you know, Red Hat basically. Um, you, you may have heard there was some large corporate deal that's in, in the works that, that is a very much a cloud focused deal. And that's kind of, that, that is definitely the overall story of the company. Uh, but we do have a significant investment in desktop as well. Uh, you talked about kind of the desktop being on the wane overall. And I think that's generally true. I think that probably all of, all of us on this call are are nerds. I'm just going to say it. And I'm probably, you know, most of your audience as well. And we like to have computers. We like to fiddle with them. We like the things that they can do for us. We may like to customize our desktop or whatever. For most people, a computer is a horrific and baffling inconvenience that they put up with because of the things that computers let you do for communication and media creation and consumption and so on. Um, most people have never wanted a computer. We just made them suffer because we made such awesome stuff that they had to have a computer to get. And now that there's alternatives, um, most people are going to go away from having computers. I think that's inevitable. Um, you know, my parents never use their computer anymore. They're always on their phones. Um, but I think that there always will be this set of people, um, you know, software developers is a key demographic, but also, you know, uh, content creators of all kinds, uh, you know, nerdy, geeky people who like to have have a computer. There's going to that, that's always going to be there. Uh, it may be that the prices for those things go up as they become less, less mass market. Um, but uh, I think that in that niche. Uh, Linux's share is going to be much more dominant. In fact, we may even get to the, you know, the place where we are a year of Linux on the desktop because the big mass market doesn't care about the desktop anymore. Um, and you can kind of see this. I, I, I'm sad that Stack Exchange stopped asking this, but they, they used to ask, um, you know, what operating desktop operating system you used in their survey of developers. And, uh, Linux share was at like 20% and growing year over year there in a pretty impressive way. Um, so, you know, uh, 1% whatever of the mass market is is maybe hard to get to but i think dominating the niche market of people who really care about computers is easily done for linux so in that context uh i think that the desktop is very important for fedora because those people are our audience and the people we want to be using fedora and involved in our community uh, so i think the future is actually pretty bright i absolutely agree with all of that um i think linux 
as a whole is increasing in popularity. We see that in the growth in cloud and server. Um, and I think it's it's one of these sort of cyclical things. The reason that uh, in the case of Ubuntu, one of the reasons that Ubuntu server got so big is because everyone was using it on the desktop. Now everyone's using it on the server. Maybe they'll branch out a bit into, into desktop again. So I think the underlying demand is always going to be there. And it is a case of knowing your market. And it is software developers and um, creative arts and gamers and people like that that are still going to want a powerful machine on their desktop to do what it is that they do. And I think that Linux still represents a very, very good choice for those people. Um, so I think actually, yeah, I, I think the future is bright. There is always going to be demand there. And I, I hope that we do attract more people as things like GNOME mature even further um, and people use it at work from their servers and they come home and try it on their desktops. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we'll be okay. You would say that, though, wouldn't you, given that that's your job to be in charge of the desktop? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Richard? How do you feel about it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I feel similar to what a lot of being said here. Um, yeah, I, interestingly, at SUSE, um, the, the desktop has, has kind of continually outperformed expectations. Um, those expectations weren't necessarily that high, but you know, there's definitely customers there wanting it, needing it, um, as well as those customers in, in sort of the, the point of sale and other desktop side of things. Um, but with OpenSUSE, we, we've had a, a very more again complicated um, relationship with the desktops because for example with SUSE SUSE is very much focused on GNOME contributing upstream using GNOME as their only desktop environment in all of the products yeah there's no Plasma desktop is there no Plasma desktop hasn't been for a really long time now um, yeah it, it years if not approaching a decade perhaps wow getting old um, whereas in OpenSUSE of course you know multiple desktops KDE XFCE GNOME um, you know whatever the community wants um, so that that fits in nicely with with this sort of whole targeting developers and techies and, and geeks because that's it's always been one of OpenSUSE's greatest strengths you know we've always had tools and, and technologies and we kind of we think that way we are that way um, so yeah that's that's kind of the way I see things going forward. But I mean, OpenSUSE hasn't described itself as a desktop operating system for at least five years now. You know, as a project, we, we have yeah so much under that umbrella. You can use OpenSUSE and our tools to do so many different things that, you know, desktop's one use case. It's an important one. It definitely gets some attention, um, but it's not the only one by, by any stretch of the imagination. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they sell computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate, 1804 and 1904. Along with some desktops and servers, they also sell laptops. And they've recently refreshed quite a few of them. I've talked about my 14-inch Apollo in the past. But now there's a slightly bigger version of that with a bigger touchpad and a 15-inch screen called the Proteus. And they've also got 16 and 17-inch laptops. But one of the new 17-inch ones is called Helios. And that is completely new for them, and it uses desktop parts and has four storage devices in it. And you can get up to an i9-9900K in it, which is a proper desktop processor, and up to 64 gigabytes of RAM, and up to 8 terabytes of storage, and an RTX 2080. So this is an incredibly powerful laptop. So if you haven't checked out their lineup for a while, then do go to entroware.com and check out all the various laptops that they've got. You're bound to find something to suit your needs. 
and they ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And there's an option at checkout, a little drop-down menu. You can select late-night Linux on the node that we sent you. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. And it's somewhat related to all this is the fact that you've got containers and serverless and, and cloud starting to blur the lines between distros to some extent. So is that something that you guys are aware of and trying to actively make your distro stand out from the others? Yeah, I mean, it, it's something I, I spend a lot of my time on because that their main day job of mine is, is working currently on, on OpenSUSE Cubic, so uh, OpenSUSE's container operating system. Um, and they're kind of, you know, we're, we're using uh, what Matt described earlier as the Red Hat container stack. I like to think of it as the Red Hat SUSE container stack. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Podman, Cryo, all the lib container stuff, um, which which we're, we're shipping very much as first-class citizens. In, in fact, um, most of our images don't have Docker on them at all anymore. Um, and, you know, there, yeah, okay, we're shipping the same software, sometimes shipping newer versions quicker, but you know it's ultimately doing the same thing. We're running OCI containers. There, our differentiator there really is a case of ease of use or ease of deployment and ease of maintaining a system. So you know, our vision is very much a case of you take Cubic, you dump it on a machine or a VM or a cloud image or whatever, and it's going to take care of itself. It's going to patch itself. It's going to reboot itself. It's going to roll back itself if something goes wrong. Um, and that's kind of how we're trying to differentiate yourselves rather than kind of worrying about polishing the the actual service because that's you know that container is going to be a user's choice they're going to be either they might be running our container they might be running someone else's they're probably going to be running their own because our you know base containers are just the beginning of a container story um, so it, it takes a different level of thinking compared to old-fashioned desktops where you know, we're, we were pretty much controlling the entire stack from sort of birth of a machine to the actual app a user ran, which yeah, doesn't apply anymore. And what about you, Matthew, then? Uh, are you on the same page there? So, yeah, uh, one of the things that's in the Fedora family, and I kind of talked about it being an umbrella project with different things, uh, Red Hat bought uh, CoreOS, the company, uh, like a year ago now. Um, and we're working on, you know, a version of container Linux, the CoreOS operating system. It's going to be Fedora CoreOS that is uh, based on you know, a kind of a merger of the technologies we liked best from both companies and projects. Uh, so that's uh, going to be in a preview release with Fedora 30. Um, our goal is to um, happily bring over all of the existing container Linux users and start building up new users. Um, and the CoreOS story is very much this idea of an operating system as a service, an operating system that takes care of itself and you don't have to worry about it and your containers run on top of it. So um, I I think there's a general kind of industry trend following that, um, that uh, CoreOS really pioneered and Red Hat saw the value in. Um, and we're going to continue building that in Fedora. Red Hat as a company, this is you know outside of my area, but uh, we have a pretty good story in the cloud with op uh, OpenShift and our you know, platform as a service and the K Kubernetes stack around that and uh, some of the k-native serverless stuff running on top of that running across you know multiple public clouds private cloud uh, so I think that's uh, not necessarily something in the fedora space but kind of in the Red Hat universe as an open source project and there's some of the things we're working on in future versions of the fedora workstation um, 
desktop edition that are going to make it tie nicely in with OpenShift. So I think that's uh, some kind of uh, neat things we have going on in the cloud space. Almost said the word hybrid there. I thought you were contractually obliged these days to say it. I, I am not a salesperson. I don't have to say <laughs> open hybrid cloud, although I could if I wanted to. Yeah. Well, my understanding of hybrid cloud is just, um, you know, a bit on-premises and a bit in public cloud. It's not really rocket science, is it? And it's quite a sensible approach. Yeah, a lot of it is kind of about, you know, concern about lock-in. If you you end up going to you know, one of the very big public clouds or one of, you know, the smaller ones, you can end up developing a lot specifically to their APIs and so on. And then we're kind of back in the old days of the you know mainframe and mini computer where you weren't really portable from your vendor. You get this whole stack from one vendor and you're stuck there. So uh, Linux kind of broke that from the Unix market and made it so that you know, democratization of you know, the Unix operating system. Um, and we are at risk of getting everybody tied into that same situation with public cloud and especially serverless. And so um, the hybrid cloud idea is that basically the idea that you would like to have an open source layer that you control in there that is not just getting everything from, um, you know, the one cloud vendor that provides your full stack. Yeah, it's almost a lifeboat from AWS, essentially. <laughs> uh, sure, you can think of it that way. <laughs> yeah. So ARM is something that we can't ignore either. x86 still does reign in the data center. And we talked about how Apple are very much concentrating on their ARM side of things with iOS. Um, is ARM something that is very much on the radar of the three distros? I get the feeling I, I don't hear a lot of ARM stuff from... Um, the Sousa side. Really? Richard, is that something that you're aware of? Wow. Um, I'm surprised there because like, we've been doing tons with ARM lately. So like with Cubic, um, we just announced a couple of weeks ago the official support of uh, Cubic on ARM, um, which mostly was done in conjunction with ARM. Um, so yeah, we, we have a very fine uh, ART64 port of, of the entire Tumbleweed stack. Um, we were the first distribution to do 64-bit on Raspberry Pi. Um, I, I don't know how you've missed all of that. Ah, uh, well, I, uh, I don't know. I have to plead ignorance on that one. <laughs> uh, so that it is something that you are very much concentrating on then. Oh, ab absolutely. In fact, uh, currently the OpenSUSE treasurer is actually uh, a director at ARM. So yeah, there's we can't get away from them even if we wanted to. All uh, right. Um, and what about on the Fedora side? Fedora has always been on the forefront of doing multiple architecture things. We've um, even even more than RHEL, this is kind of one of the areas where we kind of explore things. Um, Fedora makes sure we build everything you know, across a lot of different architectures. Uh, and ARM has been one of those for a long time, both um, the ARM v7 and AR64 stuff. Um, so our Fedora IoT edition that's coming out soon uh, is going to have ARM as a primary thing. Yeah. And I just saw a tweet from Peter Robinson, who's one of our uh, Fedora ARM developers uh, about enablement on some new ARM laptops that are shipping. Uh, not not the Mac ones yet, but I think that's an interesting area for the future, for sure. Um, it's been so long that I don't remember when we switched ARM to being a blocking architecture for some of our releases. So we um, definitely make sure that it uh, is included every Fedora update. And what about with Ubuntu? I know WinPress relatively recently 
got Ubuntu Mate working well on the Raspberry Pi. So I presume the, the whole archive is there for ARM. Yeah, the ARM HF and the ARM64 archives are all fully built, um, along with uh, more sort of mainframey uh, architectures like um, S390X and, and those sorts of things. So yeah, it's all there, all works. And what about Risk Five then? I know it's very early days, but are there any plans? Is that something that uh, you guys are watching? We've got a Risk Five project in the Open Build Service, building Tumbleweed. Um, it's not complete; it's not pretty, um, so we're not advertising the media yet. I don't think we've actually ever got the media working, um, but yeah, it's there. People can contribute to it. Um, we're, we're keen to see where that kind of falls together, and we've got hardware for, te- for building and testing it, which is nice. Yeah, a lot of the uh, RISC-V bring-up work is being actually done on Fedora and in Fedora, so I'm definitely keeping an eye on that. I'm not aware of any really huge efforts around it, and I don't think we have a gigantic deployment of hardware to build everything on, which would be a um, requirement for it being at the same level of you know ARM and x86 and the others, PowerPC um, and S390. Uh but uh, it's definitely something we're exploring, and there's community members who are very, very passionate about it. Yeah, likewise, uh, it's very interested in it, and I've seen pictures of Ubuntu in the wild running on RISC-V uh, architecture. So, yeah, it's looking good. How far out do you think we are, um, each of you, on, on the RISC-V situation? It's something we've all been watching. I'm just interested to see whether you all agree on the kind of time frame here. So I suppose, um, start with you, Richard, how long do you reckon? Oh, it, it's hard to say. Um because like sometimes we have people surprising us. Um, we've got more, about eighty percent of tumbleweed building on Risk V right now. So I, with a concerted effort, I wouldn't be surprised if we start having sort of workable images readily available in the next couple of months. And I would say kind of at a decent level by by the end of the year. I have no speculation. Okay, fair enough. Um, Will, have you got any speculation? Uh, I think realistically. Deployed systems, I think we're talking more like five years. Yeah, that doesn't seem unreasonable. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, guys, for coming along and doing this, um, taking some time for it. It's very much appreciated. Um, I suppose um, I should put the links in the show notes. I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Fedora. I don't know. It's not. Is it what? Get Fedora? Yeah. Getfedora.org. Fedoraproject.org is kind of the project-facing site. Get Fedora is the uh, brochure download site. Yeah. And uh, OpenSUSE.org? Yeah, or software.opensuSE.org if you want to give the equivalent of Gapfedora.org. Yeah, and uh, it's just Ubuntu.com, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks a lot, gents, and uh, speak to you again sometime. Awesome, thank you. Nice talking to you. That was a great discussion, and I'm really grateful to Richard and Matthew for taking the time to come on the show and join in. Will had to do it, you know, he's part of the crew. So I said I'd do some admin. Thank you, everyone, for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. And you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support for all the details of how to do that. And remember, for $5 a month on Patreon, you can get the ad-free feed, so you don't have to hear the adverts anymore. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And another quick plug for Fostalk Live, which is going to be on the 8th of June, so coming up pretty soon at the Harrison near King's Cross in London. It's going to be a bunch of live podcasts with Ubuntu Podcast, ours, Linux Lads, and the Mashup Show with Dave, Marius, and Stuart. All the tickets have gone at this point, but if you did register a free ticket and you can't come anymore, then do go back to Eventbrite and cancel that so that someone else can have it. And realistically, not everyone who's got a ticket will come, so if you turn up, there's a good chance you'll get in downstairs and see the shows. 
And if not, then you just have to hang out in the pub upstairs. It's not the end of the world, is it? So we'll be back in a couple of weeks when normal service should be resumed with all four of us, hopefully. But until then, I've been Joe. See you later.